Hello. Hello. Welcome. My name is uh, David Greenhaw, and I'm an ordained minister of the United Church of Christ, and I am currently serving, like right now, as the interim senior minister of this congregation. And I'm delighted that you're here, and I'm here as well. So. And I'm Reverend Angela Wells Bean, and I'm your minister for congregational care. And I'm also delighted to be here. Good. Whether you're joining us uh, in person today or remotely, and if you don't know it, there's hundreds of people joining us remotely. I'm, I'm so happy that you are. Thank you. And especially uh, if you're joining us at Bentley Village, we want to be sure to welcome you and ask that you uh, take a moment and, uh, and register your attendance. I think you're doing this, but... Uh, I'll let you do this part. How okay. do they register sure. their attendance or note they're here? If you are in person, there should be registration pads at the end of your pews. Please grab one and fill it out and pass it along to your neighbor in your pew so we know who's with us in person today. And if you are one of the hundreds of people worshiping remotely this morning, please take the opportunity to write in the comments section where you are worshiping from. This, uh, this afternoon at 1 o'clock, there is a classical jazz piano concert with uh, Christina Socher, uh, and the Naples, who's from the Naples uh, Youth Jazz Band. That's in Beverly Hall today at 1 o'clock. Uh, it is free. There will be a free well uh, offering taken. And our church is sponsoring a school supply and backpack drive with our mission partner, Grace Place. They have hundreds of students that are part of their program and therefore are collecting hundreds of backpacks all the way from kindergarten through high school. But we have committed to collecting uh, backpacks for kindergarten through second grade. So unfortunately, you do kind of have to be worshiping with us in person to participate in this part of our ministry. Um, but you can see our bulletin this morning. It has a list of school supplies we're looking for, and that collection will be going for several weeks. And Sarah Morgan is our church's liaison to Grace Place, and she will be in the gathering place today. So you can sign up with what you'd like to, to add to that school supply drive and uh, ask, ask any questions. So details in your bulletin or see Sarah Morgan in the Grace, in Grace uh, excuse me, Sarah, Sarah Morgan in the gathering place. Grace Place gathering place. Great. <laughs> Thank you. And... Um, so this week, uh, I was reminded of a comedian who had a little routine about getting tonsils out. And, you know, the bad thing about tonsils, you have your tonsils out. But the good thing, we're going to get ice cream. We're going to get ice cream. I felt that way all week. Not about ice cream. But our grandchildren, the first set, came this week. And I've been just so excited all week. We're going to get grandkids. We're going to get grandkids. Oh, and their parents too. So uh, our son, Robert, and our daughter-in-law, Brandy, and our two youngest grandchildren, Ava and Miles, are right here today. And we're just very excited to welcome them today. So... Um, we have a, a, a little announcement to make about some new jobs, some folks who have new uh, jobs, and I want to uh, explain them to you. The first is uh, uh, these are two people who spend a lot of time with us on Sunday mornings and a lot of time with us here during the week. And the first is Chelsea Goodwin has a new job, and her job is, doesn't have a new title yet, but it will be something like this. Coordinator of Membership and Stewardship. 
Chelsea, raise your hand there. <laughs> Chelsea will be doing the gift accounting, make sure that the gifts are recorded. If you have a question about your gifts, not yet, but once she learns her job, give her a call. And, uh, and she will also be keeping track of uh, membership information and the like. And the second person who has a new job is Wendy Gare, who has a new position at the Florida Cancer Specialist. Wendy's last day is this morning after uh, a good long time. Angela, you have something you might add to that? Wendy has been an invaluable member of our staff team, often wearing many different hats. If something around the church got done and we weren't sure who did it, Almost all the time, it was Wendy. And many of you have had the occasion to work with her on a variety of different things, and you know Wendy's kind and pastoral demeanor, and she has worked very hard on behalf of our congregation to ensure that our ministries are successful, and you will be deeply missed. Thank you. Thank you, the two of us. Thank you, Barbara. And now... Let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. In the midst of our failures, we stand in God's grace. In the midst of our struggles, we boast in our hope through Christ. In the midst of our suffering, we claim the endurance given by the Holy Spirit. In every part of our lives, the divine love of our Creator has been poured into our hearts. Let us be open to this love as we stand in body or spirit and join together in singing our opening hymn. I invite you to join me in our invocation, which you'll find printed in your bulletins. Let us pray together. We thank you, O God, that you have given us an enduring hope, one which cannot disappoint or mislead us. Be with us this morning that through our faith in you and in Jesus Christ, you would enter into our hearts, whether we're suffering or celebrating, and fill us with your peace. Amen. This morning in our prayer, I'd like to urge you to take just a moment and look in your bulletin. There is an extensive prayer list that is uh, in there. And this morning... I'd like at the moment of silent prayer, in the middle of the prayer, for you to take a minute and take one of these names or two that you're familiar with or know something about and include them in your prayer during our prayer today. Let us pray together now. Holy God, we come to you in prayer We come to you boldly because we have heard that you are open to our prayers. We come humbly because our worries and concerns and joys seem small when compared to the vastness of the world in your care. But we come nonetheless hoping that we, even we are worthy of your care and attention. We hold the names of those within our fellowship who are in need of prayer. Some are sick, some are dying. Many are grieving them 
grieving. Hold them in the palm of your hand, O God. Cup them into your comforting hand. Hold fast to them even as they slip away from us. Receive them into your hands. Hear us as we pray silently and in our hearts. We pray for peace, O God. Every day we read or hear or see signs that our world is careening toward chaos. Give us peace. Give us peace, O precious Lord. Give us peace. As hard as it is for us, we remember that we have been taught to pray for our enemies And so especially this day, we pray for Mr. Putin. We pray that he will receive a new heart, find a new way, stop the killing. And of course, we pray for the families of those killed, whose grief is nearly inconsolable. Gracious God, we pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, and you're invited to follow along with the text if you like, because the words are printed in your bulletins. So let us hear this sacred scripture. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
that has been given to us. May God bless our modern hearing of these ancient words. I have a uh, love-hate relationship with Ralph Waldo Emerson. I have read lots of Emerson, probably too much. But I, I really like Emerson, and I struggle with him. So I want to start with some of the things I like about Emerson. First of all, few people ever writing in an American setting have written with more cleverness or memorableness. Lots of quotes. For instance, you just have to like the way he says says this. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Isn't that great? He could have said, don't get in a rut. But instead, he said, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. He then attributes those little minds to politicians, ministers, and others. (laughs) And I have been teaching for years out of his wonderful uh, address, essay. It was the address he gave to the graduating class at Harvard Divinity School in 1838. And I've been using it with students forever because it's got a gem in the middle Uh, students of preaching, that is. I've been trying to teach preaching not to be this. This is what he says. I once heard a preacher who sorely tempted me to say I would go to church no more. Don't be that person, you all. (laughs) I once heard a preacher. And then he goes on to say that the preacher was disconnected. I just, I always like that line about a preacher who runs them off. But the part I don't like about Emerson, his essay, Nature, and his essay on self-reliance, they sound so good. They're, be self-reliant, be your own person, engage in nature, be one with nature, connect with it. I, I always like those on the surface, but they're so romantic. They, they're so simplistic, it seems to me, as if you could just pull your own bootstraps up. Be self-reliant. Don't rely on others. Rely on yourself. Break from tradition. Go on the bold path. It sounds good. But when I think about it with how people actually are, we're not self-reliant. We don't have our own bootstraps. Somebody gave us those boots. We didn't get there on our own. We got there with the communities of support and the people that have helped us. We got there with God's help and the churches and communities that supported us. So his notion of self-reliance, I'm not so fond of it, actually. Generally, but not that much. And then his notion of nature, it really sounds good. Nature is around us and we ought to appreciate it and enjoy it. And that sounds great on a sunny day. But what happens when the hurricane hits? What, what, What happens when the earth quakes? What happens a way in which animals consume each other in bloody, gory ways? Nature is not always so pretty and nice and appreciated. He, he glosses over those things, I think. So I love him, and not so much. But his essay called Experience, 
that he wrote in 1844 is one that I find painful and insightful. Emerson's notion of self-reliance, his notion of oneness with the world, all of those things led him to believe that really things were mostly good. We were just encumbered by old, fuddy-duddy ways. But in 1842, his son Waldo died unexpectedly. And for two years, he had to struggle because he couldn't just grieve. He couldn't quite get in touch with his grief. His philosophy had him all upbeat and all. And in, in that experience, he was caught, unable to communicate, not able to say what he needed to say. And then when he wrote the essay, Experience, it's very unlike the others. It begins with a a description of a staircase that has no beginning and end, being caught just in an endless chain, unable to break out. And then he says this one line that is one of the most important I know. I'll say it a couple of times so it soaks in. Every roof is agreeable to the eye until you lift it. And then you encounter tragedy. Every roof is agreeable to the eye until it is lifted and encounter tragedy. I like this line. I like it because it's brutal. (laughs) You know, folks... Folks look good on the outside. Things look really fine, like things are going well. You drive down the street and all those nice-looking houses go together. You see people dressed up in the shops and at the restaurants. You see people all over the place in church. You see people, and they look fine. But upon closer examination, things are not quite as simple. Things are messier. Frankly, people are messy, and so are their lives. It's not that they didn't put things away. It's that not far beneath the surface, at some point in everyone's life, there is suffering. The Apostle Paul knows this, and he describes suffering to the people in Rome and I, I never liked this text for a long time because I didn't like the way it sounded. You know, let me, let me read it to you. You're to boast in your sufferings. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. There's a good purpose to suffering. Go out and get some good suffering so you can boast on it and everything will go well. It always seemed that way to me, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. What Paul is saying is that suffering is everywhere, that you don't avoid it. Like Emerson came to discover when he finally started to grieve the death of his son, every roof is agreeable to the eye, but below it, things are a mess in people's lives. There's betrayal and sadness and separation and loss and worry and their own impending death. There are all these things that are suffering. There are things that hurt and hurt deeply and are not solved simply. Human beings... suffer. 
sooner or later, all of us, one way or another, find ourselves knee-deep in suffering. Knee-deep in suffering. But listen to what Paul does before he talks about suffering. Listen, listen to the lines before. Just listen again to it. This is what he says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace. Now listen to this. Access to this grace in which we stand. Long before we were knee deep in suffering, we were hip deep in grace. Long before betrayal happens or sadness or pain or other things happen to us, we're, knee, we're hip deep in grace. And what that means, what does grace mean? It means that you are not loved because you are lovable. You are not loved because your roof looks good, because everything's fine. You are not loved because of who you are. You are loved because of who God is. God is the one who created you and loves you and suffers with you and knows that it hurts and is still there and can't be driven away because you are hip deep in the grace of God. This does not take suffering away. But as Paul says, it allows suffering to be transformed. Suffering gets to be changed from something that just hurts, but something that can be endured. It gets changed into something that makes us who we are and doesn't have to be denied. It gets transformed into hope. And hope, hope doesn't say that suffering goes away completely. But it says that God, who put us in grace up to our hips, has not given up does not give up and will be with us all the way to the end and beyond. Thanks be to God who's given us such grace up to our hips. Amen. Sisters and brothers, when suffering comes, as surely it does, do not be solely overwhelmed but instead remember that you stand in the grace of God. Go forth in that sure and certain assurance. Amen.